mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bibles with me to John chapter 9. We're going to be starting this morning in verse 1. By way of review, though, if you'll remember with me, we started chapter 8 with them bringing a woman caught in adultery and throwing, them, throwing her down before Jesus. And Jesus said to them, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then we get to the end of chapter 8. And what are they doing? They take up stones, verse 59, 859 to throw at Jesus, to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So now they've concluded that they need to pick up stones, and they need to stone him. Of course, he said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You can mark out the he. It's not supposed to be there. That's ego of me. He said that uh, because he's telling them that he's God. And people will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He clearly claimed to be God. He clearly claimed to be the Messiah. He clearly said that he was God when he says, I am. Every time he says, I am, that's a clear um, reference to Exodus 3.14, where Moses said to God in the burning bush passage, who will I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am sent you, the self-existing one. And so we need to understand that. We need to remember that because there are those out there that we will have to give an answer and defend the faith about that do not believe that Jesus ever claimed to be God. So I pray that you're ready to do that. He claimed to be God. He said to be God. In the text, we see clearly that they believe he's blasphemed and they pick up rocks and they're going to judge that he's deserving of death and they're going to try to stone him. But of course, it not be in his hour, of course, it not be in his time, we see the miracle of him. He hid himself and went out of the temple and going through their mist, he so passed by. But it's actually a bigger miracle than that. When you see it and you see him going out and you think about this, that he's standing there, they're all looking at him, they see him, they're, they're fixing their eyes on the target to kill him, which is what happens if you don't agree with God's word, you're killing God, it's death culture. That's what you're saying is either you agree with God or you don't. You can't do both. You can't say, I love God, but I don't agree with his word. I love God, but I don't like his people. These are, these are oxymorons. And, you know, so you got to be very careful what you do. But notice this. Look at the miracle that happened. However he did it, they're getting ready to stone him. And it's not his hour yet. 
He wasn't supposed to die with rocks. The Bible clearly says, cursed is everyone who uh, dies on a tree, hangs on a tree. He's going to die on the cross for us. So we know it's not his hour. He's indestructible until it's his time, just as you are. You're, you're not going to die until God's finished with you. So it's your turn to go. So you can trust God. You can step out with God. You can walk by faith with God. You can share the gospel with God. You don't have to fear the enemy because you are safe in the arms of the beloved, just as Jesus was. But notice what happens. It's a bigger miracle when you start reading. Let's move on to chapter 9 and let's look because it's a bigger miracle than what you would think. Watch 59, it closes with so pass by and 9-1 opens with now as Jesus passed by. So it's the same things happening as he's passing by. He saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to the church that we would not think that we are saved if we can't see. Lord, pour out your spirit. Help us to see what your word says. You says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Lord, we want to hear with our heart and stop looking with our eyes. We want to see with our heart and stop looking with our eyes. We want to follow close behind you. And we know where you're at, Lord. You're seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us right now. So we pray that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of you, that we would not be deceived into thinking we know you and we don't even grow. Help us to be honest with ourselves, Lord, about where we're at and what we're doing and where we're going and not to follow a culture of Christianity that leads us to hell. Pour out your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Open blind eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, again, I just want to look back here, verse 9, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1. I told you there's a bigger miracle. Notice this, 1 and 2. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. We know it was from birth. He's always been blind. And his disciples asked him, did you see that? Did you catch that? See, he didn't just hide himself and so pass by. 
but his disciples are with him. There's a whole crowd of people following him, and they still couldn't hurt him. They still couldn't stone him. They still couldn't touch him. So it's a bigger miracle than what you're thinking about because Jesus is hiding himself and moving away from the stones, and at the same time, his disciples are with him. Because they asked the question here, we see as he's passing by. Now, here's a bigger point for you I want you to get, because you got to get this. Because if you don't get this, you're going to be lost in yourself, all of your Christian walk. Listen to me. You'll be lost in self, and self is supposed to be dead. Notice as Jesus moves away, even in the face of death, he didn't ignore the need of people. Moving away knowing they can't touch him because he's indestructible until his time. It's not his hour. As he passes by, he still takes the time to reach out to a blind man. Now listen, listen, that's very important because everywhere you go in life today, there's going to be blind people. And yet we're so caught up in what we're doing, we ignore them. Jesus was, they were trying to kill him. It's not his hour yet. Remember, he's going to take our place. We're the woman that was going to get stoned. We're the, the, we're the one caught in adultery that's sinners. We were the ones going to get stoned. He's going to take our place, but it's not time yet in the text. It's not the right hour yet. He's going to take our place. He's going to die in our stead. You can believe it's going to happen, and it did happen over 2,000 years ago. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you can be saved. Listen to me. He passed by. He passed by. He didn't run off afraid. He was in the will of the Father. He was trusting the Father. And he just walks right by. And they can't kill him until it's his time. It means to pass by means to go along or away. But it means to lead near. Listen. To lead near. Isn't that interesting? Because as he's leaving, he leads somebody else to himself. He doesn't forget the purpose he's here for. And he leads near. Do you know that these other people, that they are this close to Jesus? They're so close they could hit him with a rock and kill him. That close to Jesus, but they don't know him personally. They're blind also, spiritually. And Jesus is going to speak to somebody who's physically blind. Now, it's very important because this man didn't know. Think about this for a second. They're stealthily passing by. There's not this huge crowd. You know, we're going to, I'm going to look at some other things. We won't go there. But there's other times when we deal with blind people all through the Bible. And there's a spiritual blindness and there's a physical blindness. Some people are born physically blind. Everybody's born spiritually blind. Listen. And you can come to Jesus and no longer be spiritually blind without ever needing to see with your eyes. You need to hear his voice. You don't need to see him. But they're moving across stealthily, not to be noticed so he doesn't get stoned. This man doesn't know that Jesus is passing by. He doesn't hear large crowds. He doesn't hear all the hubbub. He's not the other two blind men that says, what's going on? And they say, it's Jesus. And they say, Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. And they're able to cry out, and they kept crying out. Blind Bartimaeus did. 
And they said, silence. The teacher does. And, and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The teacher's calling you. Come on. And he, and he heals them in different ways. So listen, when you're waiting, we're going through this text, don't get caught up in what Jesus did and go, that's what he's doing for me. He's healing all blind eyes if you're willing, but he does it differently for everybody. He does it differently. That's why you can't put the way that he heals you in a box. <clears throat> He's going to do it differently every time. Listen to me. This man, because there's people that are go, well, there's some pygmies over in these tribes. Uh, how are they going to get saved? <clears throat> Listen, Jesus is in control of this. The other people that were blind, they knew he was coming. They heard him coming. Somebody told him they were coming. People bring people to Jesus. This guy's sitting there begging. He's blind. He has no idea who's passing by. And Jesus speaks to him. Jesus touches him. Jesus talks to him. Don't think that you're going to have an answer or an excuse at the throne of judgment. God opens up every eye for a moment, a mustard seed of faith to believe. And it's your choice whether I want to go and grow or do I want to just do what I'm doing and stay selfish and dead. It's your choice. It's your choice. Nobody's going to be in hell, <clears throat> excuse me, except for those who chose to go there and rejected Jesus. So look at this. As he passed by, he was concerned. He saw, that's the word gnosko. Isn't that interesting? Since he's God, it's the word that we talk about for know. It's, it's to come to know. He learned. He knew. He already knew. But we see it as saw here. He perceived it. He's seen it. He understood that he was blind from birth because the Spirit told him. Listen, I, let, me just, let me just digress just a little bit because I, I want to be careful what I say, but I want you to know that no matter what you're going through in life, it's a test. It's a trial. It, 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 whether it's suffering or pain uh, uh, or, or somebody has died, whatever it is, whether it's a sickness, maybe, maybe you, you, you were born blind if you're listening to this. I know nobody in here was. Listen to me. God loves you. And if you stay focused on your malady, you'll never get your eyes fixed on Jesus. You'll always be looking at yourself. You'll always be saying, I'm a victim. When I look at physical sickness, and I do, my wife has got many ailments. We just went through a bout of about 10, day, 10 days in the hospital. And what I want you to understand is, is that the Lord has blessed us in a way with the grace of God that when we go into the hospital, we try to bless the people we meet. We don't go in there as victims. We don't go in there suffering. We don't go in there scared to death. We go in there with God with us. And we're trying to bless them because they're hopeless. They're much more hopeless than my wife is. My wife has had cancer four times. My wife is ready to go see Jesus. My wife was okay with going to be with Jesus, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's the finish line. And when you keep your eyes fixed on yourself and you say, I'm a victim, oh, please help me, and you don't pay attention to the doctors and the nurses and the staff and the people that need hope, they're coming to work day after day, and if they don't know Jesus personally, they are getting ready to go to hell, and you're meeting them, and all you're wanting is for them to give of themselves when you have the cure for their blindness. You have the hope of eternity. Now, listen, I'm not trying to point at me or my wife. 
because I freak out when my wife is sick, but I know that I have to run to Jesus. I have to cast my care upon him. That's the part that really scares me the most with my wife is that God loves her more than I do. I just want you to understand that. And beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Listen, that's an amazing thought. God wants you to give his blood, his most prized possession for the salvation of souls. And he wants to get you across the finish line. And so that's that's the thing that scares me, that God might take my wife home. But you know what he really does? He uses her, her sickness, her suffering, her pain in the lives of others, especially in mine. My body hurts all the time. But you know what? While she's going through what she goes through, my body, I don't even notice it. Because I get my eyes on her. I get my eyes on the people that are working on her, trying to see if they're saved and if they know Jesus. I get my eyes out here instead of in here on me, on selfish me. And when my eyes go somewhere else and I begin to ask the Lord to do things and he begins to speak and move, then there's so much more going on in the spiritual realm than my physical body. And my body, I don't even notice it anymore because I'm concerned with somebody else. And that's who Jesus was. He was concerned with us. We were on his heart. Nails didn't hold him on the cross. His love for us, his calling, his anointing, his faithfulness to obey the Father held him to the cross. Not the nails. He had all the power of the universe cursing through his body. He could have got down at any time. But he was dying for us. And it's the selfish soul that will never serve anybody else. When you're going through it, listen, this is not an indictment. This is not, oh my goodness, last week I was and I was so selfish. That's not what it's about. That was a test to show you your heart so you can say, I have to stop being so selfish. Only concerned about me. Get out of the way. I'm in the front of the line. Only worried about me. Because that's the way we are in the sin nature. You want to see if you're walking in the flesh? Look at what you're saying with your words. I, I, I. Me, me, me. Get out of the way. Mine, mine, mine. That's simple sin nature in the childish way. And we are saved from that nature. We've been given a new nature, a newness of life. And yet the church is afraid to die. And yet the church doesn't say, that, that doesn't know that they're okay if they die. Where are we at as a church when all we're worried about is getting toys and getting stuff and taking care of ourselves and how do I look and what did they say about me when people are dying all around us? And the only reason we're here right now is to the ministry of reconciliation of souls. The only reason you and I are still here and God hasn't taken us home is because we're being used so that he can save other people that were just like us. I don't know when you got saved, but they're just like us. And I'm excited about this. I get excited about this. Do you see other people when you're going through a trial, when you're going through testing, when you're suffering, when you're hurting? Listen, you can say, oh, my back's out. I'm staying home. Well, then pray for other people while you're home. Don't just lay there and veg on 57 shows on TV. If you're on your back, talk with God. Read your Bible. Pray for souls. You don't have to say, I miss church and I feel terrible. Pray. My house should be a house of prayer for all nations. 
The number one way of worshiping God is an oratory chapel. Prayer is worship because you're saying, I can't do this. I'm coming to you. I trust you to do it. And you're learning to turn your heart over to God for him to do it his way. Not my will, but thy will be done. Oh, I'm excited about this text, people. I wanted to do one verse instead of 12 verses. Because it's powerful to understand what's going on here as Jesus walks by, as he passes by. And now he's called you and I to be his voice, his hands, his feet, that his spirit would speak through us and we would speak the word of reconciliation to others. And that's what we're called to do as witnesses. Oh, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible study leader. Listen, all of us are called to be witnesses. Every one of us. And it's not about you. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Jesus told them. He said, Now go wait for the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? They turned the world upside downward. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Who are the apostles? Those that are sent forth. Who is that, Greg? That's everybody that becomes one of his disciples, one of his learners, everybody that comes to salvation. You can't separate it. You can't say, well, that was then and this is now. He's the same God forever. He's been sending. He sent Abraham first. He's been sent. He sent Adam first. And Adam and Eve blew it. And we're going to blow it too if we do it in our own strength. But if we ask the Holy Spirit to send us, if we admit who we are, that we're the woman, we're the idolater, we're the one that's blind, we were all born blind. None righteous, no, not one. And pay attention because this man doesn't get spiritually awakened. He gets physically healed. See, in the verses I just read, he's still on his way to hell. Even though his eyes, he can now see. Oh, he doesn't get saved until verse, what, 39? Where am I at? Look over at verse 39. No, 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He doesn't get saved till 38. Right now, he doesn't know. Right now, he's, when we close the text in verse 12, he says, I don't know where he's at. I don't know him. But later, Jesus comes to him again. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, I don't know who he is so that I can believe in him. And he says, he who is talking to you is him. It's me. He says, I believe. And, he, and then Jesus lets him worship him. That proves again he's God. No angel in the Bible allowed any man to bow down and worship him. Only God receives worship, unless the devil is stealing it from you and cheating you out of your salvation. Listen, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're going through, don't ignore the needs of others. You have to get outside yourself. And this is a practice. It's not something you're going to learn overnight. I mean, when, you, when something happens and you hit the wrong nail with the, with the hammer, you reach for your stuff and you cry out what's in your heart. This is something that sanctification creates in us. As you follow Jesus and see who he is, 
Listen, listen, what did the man said? He said, I do not know. Where is he? I do not know. Well, start following him and you'll know where he's at. Draw near to him. Build a relationship with him. You'll know everything about God. And then you'll be ready to give an answer to him who asks you for the defense. You'll be able to answer that. We have to begin by getting into the word of God. I think it's amazing. I'm just going to give it to you really quick. Listen, the living word spoke. Jesus spoke, right? Gave a command and sent the man to get in the water. It's the same thing that we talk about all the time. There's no new testimony. It's, it's you hearing the word of God, you going and obeying and allowing the Holy Spirit to wash and cleanse you. And this is how we're sanctified and cleansed. It's the washing of the water through the word. It's pretty amazing that the living word spoke to him and he obeyed. You know what he could have said? Remember the sheep gate? Remember the man? But but when when the water moves, I have no man to put me in the water. Chapter, what is it? Chapter five, chapter four. He made an excuse. This guy doesn't make an excuse. How did he get to the pool? He's blind. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And yet when he spoke to his heart, he believed and he went to the water and he washed. He obeyed. Are you desperate? Are you, are, are you blind? Do you realize who you are and where we're at and that we could go to hell if we're deceived with some false gospel? Because that's all that's being preached out there is false gospel almost everywhere. There's always a remnant, but everything's about entertainment. Everything's about movies. Everything's about this world. Everything's about everything except for death to self. Everything you hear is about you and about how it can help self. Everything. Look, I'm listening to the other teachers. I'm listening to the other places. It's all about self. It's all about having your best life now. It's all about what's going to happen for you. Jesus came and knew that he was dying. He gave thanks for it. He knew that for this purpose I came. He knew what he was called for. And our Lord will tell you what's going on if you ask him. You begin to draw near. He'll give you wisdom in what's going on every single day. Every single day, he'll prepare you for that day. I've talked for a while. I'll get back to the text, okay? That was just on my heart. So as Jesus passes by, now listen, I I like this because one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? If you just read through Genesis with us, what happened with Joseph? His brothers threw him in a pit. Then they pulled him up out of a pit. They sold him into Potiphar's house. Remember that? And then Potiphar's wife lied. Here he is. He's trying to serve God. He even said, "Uh, no, I can't do such a thing and sin against God. He wasn't concerned about Potiphar. He was concerned about being right with God. So often we live our lives being concerned about people instead of about God. And so then he gets thrown in prison because she lied on him. And when he's in prison, you would think he'd be like, this is ridiculous. I'm in prison. This is not right. I haven't done anything. But what happens in prison? He's still serving God. He's still faithful. And Potiphar makes him head over everybody and didn't even know what was in prison now. He still remains the same character. And then what happened, Greg? I'm glad you asked if you didn't read it. The, here comes the baker and the cupbearer, which the, the, the king of Egypt has thrown into prison because they've seen a plot on his life. Somebody tried to kill the earthly government and get rid of it, which is what they'll attack you. If you try to tell people to get rid of earthly government, you're going to get tossed in prison. It's coming. Listen to me. 
the baker and the cupbearer. And guess what? They're like freaking out. They're over here mourning and moaning. And Joseph says, shut up, guys. I'm busy. I'm worried about self. No, he notices He notices that their countenance has fallen. You ever notice people's countenance and ask them about it? You can see it in their face when they're wearing something. And you should ask. But if you're so stuck on self, you'll never see it in anybody else. Listen, I'm not being mean. I'm just being real with what the scriptures are saying. When you're going through stuff, get your eyes off of self and get it fixed on Jesus and go serve somebody. You'll get blessed. Joseph is in prison falsely, should not be there as a man trying to serve God and follow God, already knows what God has called him to do. And they, they're sitting over there with their countenance. Well, he says, what's going on? Well, we both had dreams. He asked God. I, didn't, I can't give interpretation, but God can give interpretation of dreams. And don't miss it. It's a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. He's right there in between two other people. One of them is going to die and have his head lift off. The other is going to be given back and put the cup in the king's hand the same day because it's the king's birthday. Only God knew all that. Only God knew all the timing of everything. Only God knew the day that you were going to come to him and the day that your spiritual eyes were going to be open. See, we're all born blind, and then your eyes open, but that can only happen by the Spirit of God. It can't happen with me up here going, I'm going to intellectually wrangle them into opening their eyes. I can't make your eyes open, but you can draw near to God, and He'll open your eyes. And the more you draw near to Him, the more He opens your blind eyes. In fact, one of the texts, let's just look at it really quick. I got it here in my notes. Here's one of the texts. It's in Mark chapter 8. There's a blind man that was led to him. He puts his hands on him and he takes him outside the city and he goes, can you see? And he goes, I see men like trees. So he touches him again and he says, look up. Listen, because God does it differently with everybody. He tells him to look up. Are you looking up? That's one way your spiritual eyes are open. Are you looking up? Are you looking to God? Are you still looking out at everybody else and looking at the world? Are you looking up where your help comes from? In, um, in Matthew 20, 29 to 34, remember there's two men sitting on the side of the road and they say, have mercy on us, son of David. And he says to them, what do you want? He makes them articulated in prayer. What do you want as they're sitting there? And they go, our eyes to be open. Think about that. If you're blind, God knows you're blind. But do you want your eyes to be open? Do you want to see what's in the scriptures? Do you want to spiritually discern what's going on so you can go out? And he says, he touched their eyes and it says they followed him. Notice the things that happen when blind eyes are open. You look up. These followed him. See, he does it differently, but the reaction is the same in every person. You're going to look up. You're going to follow him. Here's one. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 31. You can go read these. I don't know if you're writing them down. Listen to the tape. Again, he touched their eyes. But what did he say to him? Let it be done according to your faith. And so their eyes were open. And he said, don't tell anyone. What did they do? They went and told everyone. Look up. 
follow Jesus. Go tell everyone if your eyes are truly open. If you truly are no longer blind and you truly see Jesus and you truly have had the veil lifted and you now know that Jesus Christ is Lord, you should be looking up, you should be following, and you should be telling everyone. How can we be blind and dead and going to hell and meet the Holy Spirit, meet God, and never do nothing? Never get in his word. Never want to go out and say, are you serious? Go and sin no more. You're going to take the rocks for me. You're going to take the death for me. You're going to take it for me, Lord. Wow. How could we see that in truth and not want to look up, to follow, and to tell everybody? Or to obey like this man did. Let's look what he did. He washed. He was sanctified. He saw a man. He knew the man was blind from birth. Physically. Remember that. Physically. If he stays physically blind, what happens? He still goes to hell. If he gets healed from his physical blindness, what happens? He still goes to hell. But if his spiritual eyes are open, he gets to live with Jesus for eternity. It's so important that we understand the Bible is about the spirit of a man. It's about the soul of a man. That God died to save your spirit. He's going to sanctify you spirit, soul, and body, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, but you're going to get a new body in a twinkling of an eye. These bodies are made to fall apart. And as they're falling apart, no one can explain why somebody's, uh, well, Jesus does in this text. We can't always know why people are going through what they're going through. But we do not have to let it consume us. Christ should consume us. To be faithful to him should consume us. To be a witness for him should consume us if the Spirit of God is in us because he takes everything that's Jesus's and he gives it to us. He teaches us. He's supposed to be leading and guiding us. And this is not just for the pastor. This is not just for the Jesus freak. This is for every child of God. If you're in the house of God, you want to become like the Father. It's a normal thing of family, but the world is destroying family on purpose so you don't have a proper picture. Everything that you need is here in the testimony of the Bible. That's why we look here to get the answers for everything. We don't look to the world for our help. Do we have to go to them sometimes? We went to the doctor. Do I believe all their science? No. They can't even get it right whether there's a male and a female or more. Are you serious? I'm going to trust them? They told me I had to go home. Visiting hours were over. I said, I'm not a visitor. I'm her husband. We're one vessel. I'm not going anywhere. And they said, well, you can't stay. I said, well, okay. So you better get somebody. I said, I, I'm, I'm her husband. And I'm trying to be nice, but this ain't going to work. And so they went to her to put a gown on her. And she said, well, I'm not putting a gown on. Wherever my husband goes, that's where I'm going. And if you're sending him home, I'm going with him. And we prayed. I texted people, said, pray. They're trying to kick me out of the hospital. That's what they want to do. They want to isolate you and decimate you. Now, that's not the people in the hospital. They're doing what they're told to do from above. They're following their authority so they can keep their job because they're hanging on by their, their, their fingernails to life because they don't know Jesus. And they need hope. 
And they're working their butts off trying to pay the bills while the devil keeps crushing them. So you have to introduce the word of reconciliation. You have to introduce God. You have to talk to them about Jesus. You know, it probably seemed like nonsense to them for me to say I'm her husband, not a visitor. That I've been given a commission by God to take care of my bride. And that's what I'm going to do. It probably seemed like nonsense to them. Just like when Lot was telling the people in, in Sodom, hey, God's getting ready to, and it seemed like nonsense to them. What do you mean God's getting ready to do something? We've been doing this for a long time. you got to go home. Listen to me. It was a scary time, but I know God's faithful. And they come in and said, you can stay for one day. And I said, okay, we'll do it one day at a time. That's what God said to do. And the next day I sought out everybody in the hospital and made sure that it was going to continue. And God was faithful to do that. But you first have to stand. You first have to stand. That's what our position is as Christians, is to stand. Histamai, to abide, continue, and remain, and, and, and not be afraid to stand. I am not pointing at me. It's the grace of God that gets us to what we go through. But we know that God has called us to go through it. We know that God has called us to share the gospel. We know that God has put us in a specific place, whether it's the hospital or the graveyard or the backyard or the front yard or at work. We're supposed to be sharing Jesus. Because that's the only hope. People are dying inside. They're blind. They cannot see what you see. They cannot see that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And we have to share the word of God with them. And you don't have to share a whole lot with them. Just speak and see if, if the seed gets planted. And God's the one that's going to bring the increase. But we can't just go through life and ignore every person around us. Because we want to get home and sit on the couch and watch TV. I don't know what it is your bent is. You want to get somewhere. You want to be something. You want some attention. Yeah, listen, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. You seek to serve and you'll never be out of a job. But if you seek to be served, you'll always be frustrated. If you seek people to serve you and treat you like you're somebody special, you're going to always be frustrated. But if you seek to serve, you will always be serving. You will always have the energy, too, because Jesus promises the power. He promises he will give you power to be a witness. Which is the Greek word martyr, which means to die for your faith. Listen, he saw a man born blind. They're trying to kill him. He could have been running, but he wasn't panicking at all. I have no idea why my wife has had cancer four times. For 36 years, she's been fighting with the ramifications of it. Radiation has racked her body because man tried to fix it. But you know what? If they wouldn't have fixed it, she would have died in her sins. She didn't know Jesus when she got her first cancer. But God used it to bring her to him in all of this. And he also uses it to bring you and I into unity. I had a whole list. I always erase my line. You guys might keep yours. I don't save my text. I, I erase everything except for my wife's and my grandchildren's and my family. I erase everything. You, you might keep mine. I don't know. But I got this whole list of people that I was texting, and I despise those ones where you do group text. Can't stand them. So I don't, I don't, I don't text people in a group. I text one at a time. 
a whole line of people that I'm texting to pray. You know what that did? That brought everybody, people all across the nation praying for my wife. That's what God wants us to do. Storms in life, pain and suffering, things going on, if nothing else, gets us all to cry out to God in unity for the same thing at the same time to glorify God. And if he heals her down here, then we praise the Lord. But if he gives her a new body, then even so, come quickly, Lord. We'll be sad, but she'll have a brand new body in the presence of God. I don't want to lose her. I have to eat popcorn the rest of my life. It's my joke. I'm sticking to it. They don't know I can cook. But listen to me. That's why we understand that we're not just individuals, but we are the body of Christ together. And if one suffers, we all suffer. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. But we get out looking at ourselves, and we're mad because somebody else is rejoicing and we're not getting it. Why can't I get it? I did all this. Well, your eyes are all on yourself and you're not looking to be a servant. You're looking to get something and you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian walk if you don't die to yourself and begin to lay your life down to give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And if we need these type of storms in order for us to give it away, then praise the Lord. Let's keep moving. We aren't getting nowhere in this text. I hope we're getting somewhere in our spiritual growth. Notice, he's blind from birth. Christ knows that. God knows that. God created him fearfully and wonderfully, and he didn't have eyes to see in the physical. I forget, I've seen this somewhere, I don't know that it's true, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a scientist, I actually uh, didn't even finish school, but they said that one million optic nerves have to actually do this on the sixth day of conception or something like that in order for you to see. Now, you can go search it. If it's five of them that have to do this, then you no longer can believe in evolution. If it's six of them, They all got to touch the right places, just like the wires in your car. You run around with your wipers going when you didn't turn them on. Listen to me. God fearfully and wonderfully made this man, and he allowed him to be born blind on purpose. He knew. He knew. And he still fearfully and wonderfully made the exact same way that he is. Now watch verse 2. And his disciples asked, notice they're with him as they're stealthily running off because they don't want to hit with rocks. They asked the question because they need to know because they've been lied to. And they say, Master, Rabbi New King James, Master King James, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What kind of a question? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But see, they have been taught that you can sin in the womb. They have been taught the age-old lie of reincarnation that you can sin in a previous life, and then this is what happens. They have been taught, and it is true, that there are congenital cases of people having something from the genes and heredity from their parents because of the ravish uh, that sin has caused in the original sin in the garden. Now we have disease and death. 
We have decay coming and things perishing. So it is possible that it could have came from heredity. It is possible that it could have been from the parents. But they have been taught that you could sin in the womb. Lies. But notice, we don't have to wonder why this man was born blind. Because Jesus answers them. Listen, which by the way, reincarnationists will use this very text to try to convince you of reincarnation. I used to study all these kind of crazy stuff when I was in prison. But listen, in the book that I was reading about reincarnation, they left out verse 3. They used this as a proof text to prove that even Jesus believed in reincarnation. So if you don't know the Bible, then you believe what they're saying in their book that's lying to you. Even his disciples said to him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And if you leave out the word of God, you're going to end up with nonsense. The Bible is clear in Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed, ordained, called for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. Then comes the judgment. I always talk about this when I talk about reincarnation. If you're still listening to secular music, it's singing to you about reincarnation. It's singing to you about the lies of the devil. So if you're listening to secular music and you're not reading your Bible, you're in big trouble at the heart of your Christian walk because it's what's going into your heart. If you remember the song, um, Best of Both Worlds, you don't have to die and go to heaven, wait around to be born again. Just tune in to what this world has got to offer, and you may never be here again. I want the best of both worlds. That's just one song that Van Halen sang. The, the devil uses music, worship, to train your soul. And you need to get this. Because we can't keep saying we love Jesus and I know Jesus and then keep chasing all the world and not following him, not looking up, not washing and cleaning by the washing of the water through the word, by surrendering to the spirit of God that leads us in the word of God that helps us know the light of the world that leads us in our path. It's a very simple prescription and yet we ignore it because we're watching people instead of serving God. See, because when you're serving people, you're becoming a believer priest that's serving God because that's what he's called us to do is serve people. He's called us to go with the word of reconciliation to people. The greatest thing you can do for somebody is tell them about Jesus who saves everybody. Oh, yeah, good thing. Oh, take them, go work at the soup kitchen and give them a meal. What if they eat and their belly's full and they die and go to hell and they don't hear about Jesus? Oh, yeah, help them change their tire on their car. Did me some good works today. They die and go to hell. Their car's sitting there fine with four tires. I say, I'm not being mean up here. And if you think I'm yelling, I'm not yelling. This is just the way I talk. My wife has to roll down the window of the truck when she's in the truck with me. That's the way I talk. Just saying. I try to calm it down. Then somebody complains that I'm talking too light. And they can't hear it on the video. Listen to me. we got to get this. We're only here to be witnesses. 
We are dead. We're buried with Christ. We're crucified with Christ. When he appears, our life will appear with us. The Holy Spirit's supposed to be living through us. He's washing and cleansing us. And as we go about what we're doing in the natural, he's doing supernatural things. Or the devil is using us in the wrong way as children of God. Oh, it happens. You train your children in your home and you tell them everything. And as soon as they turn 18, they go buck wild. And you go, what happened? That's not what we were teaching them. So it's still a free will choice no matter what goes on. And just because you sit and listen to a sermon, just because you know that you're supposed to be sanctified, just because you say, I know I'm supposed to read the Word of God, does not make you sit down and be disciplined and do it. You have to cry out to God and ask for the discipline. You have to cry out to God and ask for a desire. But the more you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And he'll sanctify and cleanse you. He'll give you eyes to see. He'll give you hands to serve. He'll give you feet to go. He'll give you a heart to stop looking with your eyes and start looking with your heart. And you'll see the needs of people instead of just your own needs. It's amazing, though. He takes care of your needs. My God will supply for all my needs according to his riches and glory. How? By. It's the word through. It's the channel of the act. Every time you see the word by, Christ Jesus, by this sacrifice. But it's a spiritual need first. We don't regard anyone. I was going to go to that text of flesh and blood anymore. We don't know him as flesh and blood. We know there's a spiritual power behind it. So here's this crazy question, but it's based upon the lies of deception of apostasy of the Jewish nation who still believes in reincarnation, who still believes that it could have been the child doing it in the womb and, and be born blind. But notice the answer. When you inject the word of God, Jesus answered because it answered means it, it necessitated a answer for somebody to speak he said neither because all have sinned neither this man nor his parents sinned now if you stop there you go they're not sinners that's not what he's talking about he's answering the specific question everybody's born sinners with a sin and then listen let's just stop there god forgive me of my sin which sin it's your sin nature that you inherited from adam and you need to come to Jesus, and he gives you a new nature that no longer wants to sin. And now the two are fighting in you, and you want to keep sinning your flesh if you let him stay on the throne. Billy Graham used to always tell this uh, tale of an old man that would come down from the hills and fight his pit bulls. I know none of this is politically correct. Uh, he'd fight his pit bulls every Friday night, and he'd go away counting the money. He made a great living fighting pit bulls, and they go... How does he know which dog is going to win? And he said, it's real simple. It's the one I feed the most during the week. That's the one that's going to win the battle. He's going to be the strongest. So if you're feeding your flesh all week long, do not think that you're going to win. When the trial comes, when the testing comes, when the battle's there, don't think you're going to win it. You're going to fail it because your flesh is on the throne. Your flesh is leading your life, not the Spirit of God. I'll calm down when I get to heaven. So Jesus answers, neither, neither, but contrast. 
that the works of God should be made manifest, revealed in him. Listen, why am I going through this? So the works of God can be manifest to others. See, there's no fruit if there's, you don't go through anything. There's no testimony if you don't go through anything. Well, I was born that way. Yeah, all of us were. We were all born sinners. All sin. So you can make up all the excuses in the world to keep doing what you're doing. You can make up all the excuses in the world to keep living the way you're living. We were all born sinners. And the only way you're going to escape that sin is to allow Christ to take it. He took the penalty. He's taken the power of it. He's going to take the, the very practice of it if you let him. And then someday he's going to take you from the presence of it. But you have to continue to make the decisions to allow the Holy Spirit to wash and cleanse you. Neither. Nobody. The works of God is ergon. Again, with you and me, it's occupation. It's what we're occupied with. With God, the works of God um, is the book of Acts. It's his acts. It's what he's doing. It's his deeds of salvation and transformation, redemption, sanctification. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles should be made manifest, not revealed. It means to render apparent. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's what we're getting ready to see, this miracle of Jesus healing this guy. And it's going to make it apparent that he's the Messiah. And he's going to use language that clearly depicts that by how he speaks and what he does. That it's the works of God that are testifying that he's the Messiah. And it's the same thing with you and I. See, just as the Lord, just as the Father sent him, now he sends you and me. And then the works that we go and do, what we're occupied with, how we're living now, proves whether we're really sent by God, proves whether we're really a disciple, proves whether we're really walking in his spirit to do the work of God for the glory of God, or are we still doing our own work? Are we still drawing attention to self? Is it religion or is it the work of God? Because the apostate church is still doing the work of God. The apostate church wants to read books and teach what somebody else has said instead of enter into the word of God, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart, my heart, every heart. Listen to me. You don't have to see Jesus with your physical eyes to have spiritual eyes. I don't know how I thought I could teach 12 verses. Reincarnation is false. It's false religion. I better make sure I say that. You're going to die once, and then you're going to meet God, the judgment seat, and the only answer is Jesus. Why can you get in? Jesus, he's the door. I'm with him. He's the way. Jesus, he's the truth. He's the life. I know him. He knows me. I'm following him. So clearly, 
when I say my wife has suffered some things. Don't want to point at her. Don't want to embarrass her. She'll get mad at me and correct me later. But it's so that the works of God can be revealed when people pray. Even if he takes her home, it's when people pray. When people are sick, it's because of sin and disease. But sin doesn't always cause sickness. The book of Job. There's lots of times where you can be sick and it has nothing to do with sin. Other than general sin that happened in the world and causes decay. Because nothing died before sin. Did you know that? They walked in perfect fellowship with God in the garden. They knew perfect fellowship with God. They knew the truth. They knew peace. They knew everything. And the devil offered something else. And their own choice and their own, their, their, their own nature caused Eve to say, I want a taste of that. And brought about our death, our spiritual blindness. So Jesus tells them, so it's the, that God and his glory would be manifested, that he would come down, that he would open eyes, that he would heal us. For, Jesus says, I or we, according to what text you're looking at, must. This is the must needs. It's, a, it's, it's the must needs. It's necessary. It's binding. This has to happen. Listen, he must do the works. Why? Because faith without works is dead faith. If you say you have faith and you don't have the works of God where you're following God, you're looking up, where you, where you are washing and cleansing, it's dead faith. It's not real faith. Faith without the works of God. This is why he says it's imperative. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Again, we have the contrast uh, uh, of day and night. Day being the period between dawn and dark. That's early. It's a uh, long periods of darkness followed by long periods of daylight. That's an old joke. Only you old people will know who the hippy dippy weatherman was. That was the weather report. Long period of darkness followed by a long period. Never mind. Move. So um, he was sent. He was dispatched to do this work. Jesus was, was sent by the Father. He was anointed. He was appointed. He's doing it while it is day because the night is coming. Speaking of darkness or in biblical usage, it's a time when the works of God cease or moral stupidity. Do you see that coming? Do you see that? You think about, listen, you think it's dark today. You think that it is moral stupidity and delusion. Just think when God takes the church out. Right now, the only voice of reason is the Spirit of God in the people of God speaking out with the word of reconciliation. But in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, he said the restrainer, that which is restraining pure evil from coming and ruling, the Antichrist, is the word of God, the light of the world that's living through us because of the Holy Spirit in us. And we speak out and go, no, no. That is not moral. That is not godly. That is not right. But think about this. When Jesus raptures the church out and there's nobody speaking up and pure evil, pure darkness will be allowed to rule and reign everywhere, not just in one little house in Washington. 
supposed to be funny. Listen to me. And it doesn't matter who's in that house. It's always been evil. Because man cannot save you. Only God, man, Jesus. But soon it's going to be real dark. How's it in your house right now? Is it light or dark in your house? Your spiritual house? How about your physical house? Is it light or dark? What's going on? Oh, I'll go to church. What are, you, what are you calling me out for, Greg? I said a prayer. What's going on as the fruit of your house? Your heart and your home if you're an adult. Listen, is it light? Has Jesus been in? Because think about it. We're still talking about I am the light of the world. Why? Because he's blind. He can't see. He doesn't know there's a light in front of him. If he was in a dark room or a light room, it would look the same to him. And that's what happens when people are in the hospital and they're listening to somebody and they're telling them they know what they're doing and they're in darkness. So you have a blind leading the blind sometimes and they don't know. Because if you don't have the wisdom of God, you're just doing the best you can, hanging on by your fingernails, and you're using the science of the devil. I'm sorry, I'm not mad at anybody at the hospital. They're doing the best they can. They can do better when they know Jesus. Go to the hospital and find a nurse that knows Jesus and knows the Word of God. We have one that had been in Taiwan for 26 years as a missionary. She doesn't agree. She doesn't agree. She's doing that as an occupation to tell people about Jesus. It's just what she does. Are your eyes really open? Does the light of the world really come in? Then why do we run around like we're still blind? Why are we hanging out in darkness? Why are we ignoring the word of God and prayer and fellowship? Why are we ignoring the word of reconciliation? If we're really awake and we're really alive, why are we not growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, him who sent us just like the Father sent him? Notice what Jesus does. He's God. He's doing the works of him who sent him because it's still daylight. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's verse 5. He's repeating what he said in 8.12. Let me read that to you. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Follow, look up, be washed, be cleansed by doing the work that he's called us to do. What's your gifts? What's your talents? What's your abilities? Listen, all I can do is instruct. All I can do is point out the very clear things that are here, but it's up to you in your free will, in your desire to draw near to God and ask him, what did you call me for? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I stop just doing self and start serving and laying down my life and allowing your spirit to lead me? Because as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. Because it's really easy to live in the flesh. Bounce around and say a few Christian ease words and say, I know Jesus. Does he know you? Is there an intimacy like in marriage going on? Because we're betrothed to him. And he sent back, he sent his spirit to prepare us as a bride. To be adorned, to be washed and to be cleansed, to be like him when we meet him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So when Jesus had said these things, verse 6, notice this, this is a pretty amazing 6. 
Six is going to be what Jesus did for man. Seven is going to be the power to go with the Holy Spirit and wash. Eight is going to be a new testimony, a new beginning where there's a testimony that's clearly seen without him even opening his mouth because the neighbors notice that he's changed. Six, seven, and eight. It's interesting how a lot of times the six is the number of man, seven is the number of completion, eight is the number of new beginnings, and it lines up a lot even though man has put their hands on this word. So six, when he had said these things, what did he do? He dealt with it. He's going to reveal the works of God to glorify God for such a time as this. He's going to do what he was called to do to prove that he is the Messiah, the anointed of God. He spat on the ground and made clay. He's the potter. We're the clay with the saliva. I'm not even going to go into it. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now think about this because this is amazing to me. And I also seen a really heretical pastor draw up a big Louie and spit in his hand and wipe it on a guy's face right on the stage for this text. And I'm like, you are a knucklehead. You're not Jesus. It's not something that's supposed to be done like that. And why would you stand there and let him wipe a loogie on your face? This is crazy what we do in these churches that have nothing to do with the word of God. Theatrical. Listen to me. Genesis 2-7. Let's just look. See, God's making clay. His eyes don't see. So he's given this, this testimony, this word picture, of you will, of completing the eyes that couldn't see. He, he made us out of dirt. He made us out of the ground. He made us out of clay. And then he breathed air into our nostrils. And Jesus comes, and if you will, he heals his eyes. Now, I believe he just healed them. I don't believe that the clay that he put on his eyes became little eyeballs. But he did it as a type, as a testimony. He put it on his eyes because that body that was made of dirt was not complete. It's not made to last. It's an earthly tent. We have a house eternal in the heavenlies, not made with hands, but made by God. But in 2.7, I just want to look a couple times at this because there's plenty of witness. Am I saying that right? 2.7. Genesis 2, 7. Where's that at in my Bible? And the Lord God formed, fashioned man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now listen, this guy's fearfully and wondered if he made. God made him just like he was, blind from birth, on purpose to reveal the work of God. Look at 319. 319, we're reminded of it again. In the curse. He tells man that in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And then look at 323. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. We know that we're made from dirt. God is the potter. We are the clay. And now Jesus spits from his body onto the ground, makes some clay. He puts it on his eyes to finish this body just at this time that was going to be for the glory of God to reveal it. Now go to um, 1 Corinthians. 
just want you to see this. Am I right? Where am I at? First Corinthians 15. And I'm going to start in verse 42. Only because I want to read that text too. 42. I'm just going to read. I'm not going to talk a lot. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So it, what, God brings the increase. It is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, here it is, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Do you know that Jesus is a life-giving spirit? I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is a spiritual life. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual word. It always pertains to your spirit first. Yet we take it and turn it into physical, carnal, down here, which is dying. Because man messes up God's word. And you need the spirit of God to open spiritual eyes. Are your spiritual eyes open? If your spiritual eyes are open, you'll be able to reveal, the scriptures are being revealed to you, uncovered by the Spirit of God as He leads you and teaches you of everything that Jesus ever said and done. However, the spiritual is not first. Listen, He's given us the direction. He's given us what happens. We were sown as a natural man, and now we become a spiritual man when you become to salvation. Spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made out of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so are, so are those who are made of dust. That's you and me. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Are you looking up? Are your eyes open and you're looking it up? That's heavenly. That's where our help comes from. Forgetting that which is behind us and pressing on. We're not victims. This man could have been a victim. Are you a victim? Yeah, but God let me be born blind. Are you a victim? Or are you coming to salvation and you know that he fearfully and wonderfully made you? No matter how many times you've had cancer. No matter how many times you've been sick. No matter what you were born in. Listen, you cannot blame it on environment. Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment, walking with a perfect God, offered a perfect fellowship, and they listened to a liar. Don't tell me if you move somebody out of that environment in that neighborhood, they're going to be fine. No, they need to meet the light of the world. They need to open their eyes and stop listening to the lies of the devil, the lies of this world, and begin to listen to truth and believe truth and follow truth. If you want to live a life for Christ and you're still not going to be perfect at it. That's why he gives us first John one nine. Listen to me. 49 first Corinthians 15 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Listen, that's sanctification. That's what we're doing. That's when we're with him across the finish line. This was one of our memory verses once. Maybe we'll give it again soon. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Are you trying to go to heaven in your flesh? Are you trying to finish what the Spirit started in the flesh? Or are you 
humbling yourself, dying to self, taking up your cross daily and following Jesus. His Spirit will lead you onward and upward, washing and cleansing you so you can follow Him and so you can see others as you pass through this life. We're passing through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not staying here. Death has no place in our life. It's, well, I'll get there. It's, it's coming up right here. Behold, I tell you a mystery, not a murder mystery, a mystery that was covered. Now it's being uncovered as our eyes open. We shall not all sleep. That means die, but we shall all be changed. Are you being changed? Metamorpho. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, consider the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, changed, transformed, metamorpho, new creation by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that's twice as fast as is in it, at the last trumpet, that's not referring to Revelation, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. See, there's a trumpet that they would blow to round them up, and then there's a trumpet they would blow to move them out. This trumpet here is the rapture. The trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain in the body will meet the Lord in the air and thus will be with him always. And we should encourage one another with these words. Is that Jesus is coming soon. And he's already sounded the trumpet. When you come to salvation, the trumpet was sounded for you to rally the troops and start looking up. And where are we going? What are we doing? Let's get dressed to be the bride of Christ. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit and let's be led out of here and he's going to blow it again and we're going to be leaving. And then it's going to be total darkness down here. A new day for us. Fifty-three, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality, new body. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. See, we, don't, we, don't stand, we ain't fighting for victory. We stand in victory. Christ has already won. The victory's already won. We stand in it. O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The law points out, but we're not under law anymore except for the royal law. Christ has already taken the penalty for our sin. But thanks be to God, that's why we give thanks to Him, who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the avenue. That's the channel. That's where it comes from. When we believe in Him, when we live for Him, when we hear His voice, and He knows us and we follow Him. Therefore, and this is the encouragement, that's why I'm reading the whole text. Listen, my beloved brethren. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. It's going to produce fruit. We need to be steadfast in doing His work while it's day. 
Are you being steadfast? Are you doing the work of the Lord? What's the work of the Lord, Greg? The ministry of reconciliation of souls. The ministry of as a believer priest is serving others, giving yourself away, and he will sanctify and cleanse you while you do that as you get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. Listen, that's all I did all that just because he made clay. But what did he do after he made clay? Let's go back to our text. We'll close this out here in the next two hours. Six, he sped on the ground. This is what he did for us. He completed that body while it was here. He'd taken care of it. He put clay on his eyes. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus was sent by the Father, and he came down and washed our feet. He died for us. And he went back and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And there he is, after he rose from the grave, he went back and sat down and he's there making intercession for you and me right now. And with this man, he give him a choice. You want to be a victim? You want to stand here blind? Or do you want to do what I said? I said, calmly, go. Put clay on his eyes and said, go. He completed him. He said, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. Get in the water. The word is spoken and the water is the Holy Spirit. And then he come back to Jesus. And that's the key. You got to keep coming back. What's next, Lord? What's next, Lord? He came back seeing. Can you see? This man's eyes were open. What happened when the man's eyes were open? Well, let me know just quickly. Sent is the word ap- apostello, which is where you get apostle. One sent forth, one set at liberty. He made a choice right now when he heard truth. He's got to choose now. Do I listen to what this man said or do I keep doing what I've always did? I can sit back down and be a beggar, blind beggar. Do you really want to be a blind beggar all your life? Or do you want to meet Jesus? Your eyes be open and you don't just listen and beg for food, but you go hand out the bread of life. Listen to me. You teach a man... Or you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Are you listening to me? I don't want you coming to Greg. I don't want you coming to Harvest Chapel. I don't want you coming and being a little Greg. I want you to be like Jesus. But that's your choice. That's your choice. You have to make that choice. And, you know, we just saying, we just saying, I want more. Christ already gave everything. It's all there laying on the bottom shelf for you as a child to come and get it and to grow. He's not withholding anything of the inheritance, but it's up to your free will whether you're going to choose to come and get it and enjoy it and walk it out and hand it out and give the storehouse of heaven to other people so they can come to salvation. Listen, he said, go. This man could say, you know what? I remember I stopped one day, and I, did, I used to do this all the time. These guys on the street corner that make a living and make more money than you do, just begging with a sign. Most of them are like that. I'm not saying every one of them. Most of them are. And this guy could have been, I'm blind. I'm a beggar. I don't have anything. Isn't that us when we come to Jesus? You have to be at that place in humility. That I'm blind. I don't see. What in the world is this life about? 
I'm out begging for crust of bread when I could be having an inheritance in the heavenlies. That's us. That's our character. Anyway, and, and I stopped and I said to this guy, hey, hey, come here. I remember I was working at Trinity Mission when this one. I said, dude, my wife is a great cook. Jump in. We'll go home. You, you and me can clean the garage together and then she'll make us a meal and we can eat like kings. Uh, uh, somebody's coming back in a minute and, and they got $20 they said they're bringing to me. I can't go. See, they don't want to work. Listen, you're making a choice in your life when you say, yeah, but I only got a third grade education. Yeah, but I only got, yeah, but I only got, yeah, but I can't go. I'm too busy on Sunday. You are making a decision to say no to God when you make an excuse not to walk in the power of God, not to enjoy the inheritance of God, not to fulfill your salvation with God. You are making a choice. Don't let pain and suffering and the plight of life keep you from Jesus, from serving, from laying down your life. It's there. It's going to happen. I tell people all the time, your back can hurt at home or it can hurt in church and fellowship with people who love you, who can pray for you. And you can grow. Or you can just stay home. It's no big deal. I said a prayer already. It doesn't matter. I'm going to sit on the couch and sort my socks and this is, this is your eternity. This is your eternity. If it was a basketball game, if it was a movie, would you get up with a bad back? If it was something you wanted to do selfishly, would you get I'm Listen, that's all I'm saying is you choose your own nature you're living in. The newness of life or you can live in a sin nature. And I'm not even being legalistic. There's times when people have to miss church. There's times when people can't make it to fellowship. There's times when you're so bad you can't move because your sciatic nerve is pinching. I get all of that. But once you start making excuses not to be the body of Christ, not to be a believer priest, not to obey God's word, it becomes easier every time you don't do it. And you will live in sin and you'll say, that's for them, it's not for me, and I can just live any way I want because I said a prayer. Guess what? It's going to end bad for you. Guess what? That's not salvation. You know what salvation is? Look at it. Here it is. Verse 8. New beginning. New beginning. When you meet Jesus, when you obey, when you go and wash, when you're listening to what he says. I know Romans 10, 9, and 10 people, but there's other verses in the Bible. You cannot just rest on one verse. It's the whole counsel of God that proves whether you're saved or not. Look what happened. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? They can't tell for sure. His life has changed so much, they're looking at him and they're questioning their own eyes. Is this the same guy? Is this the same person who used to sit there and beg? I thought he was the blind guy, but look, he's walking around, navigating. He's not blind anymore. See, there's an obvious change in his life when his eyes are open. Now he can do more. He can go places. He can move around. And they obviously noticed it. And we're not even talking yet about spiritual salvation, although this is a type of it. That people will notice if you were blind and you couldn't move unless somebody led you and all you did was begged, sitting there all day long because you couldn't see. It was dark in your life. And then God turns on the light and now you can see. You're supposed to get up and go work. Now you're supposed to work, not just work with your hands, but work for God. You're not supposed to keep begging and doing the same thing. 
It's supposed to change your life, and your neighbors are going to notice it. And that's who we're supposed to reach. And they're looking and going, what in the world? Something's happened to that guy. Some said, this is him. He, others said, he is like him. I see a similarity. Because, see, you're not going to change overnight, but... You know, you still can be gruff. You still can have these things. Now I'm not making excuses for them. You need to apologize. You need to get right. I tell people all the time, when you know you've been wrong, you know you've done something wrong, same way you confess your sin to God, and you know you were rude to your wife, you know you were rude to your kids, you go back and apologize. You'll get sick of apologizing, and you'll start dealing with your conduct and letting the Holy Spirit change who you are and biting your tongue. But it has to be a choice. Do we want to keep living in death and just be lazy pit dwellers? Or do we want to enjoy life and walk in salvation and the light and have fellowship of one another? See, I think people don't fellowship because they don't want to get close to somebody because we might see your chinks in your armor. But all of us have chinks. Nobody's perfect. And if you know the gospel, you know that's true. Yeah, but I don't want to rub elbow with them. They, I mean, no, I'm just going to stay home. Listen, that's the body life. Iron sharpening iron creates friction. We, and God's taken us as a holy house. Living stones. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the capstone. Living stones that he's chipping away at, cutting and fitting us together to make a holy house where he can dwell. That's the body of Christ. And it's going to take some pain. When you start chipping away at a rock, you start sharpening a knife, sparks fly. But you know what? You get to be more like God in that moment than any other moment. You can choose to forgive, to give grace and mercy. When somebody says something you don't like, you can choose at that moment to be more like God and forgive and pray for them and to extend grace and mercy. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? I don't want to be like God. Oh, really? There's something really messed up in your theology, Christian. See, we need to think about this stuff because we're following some type of cultural stuff that has nothing to do with it. It's just, it's just God formed us in His image and we quickly repaid the favor. And now we've formed God in our image the way we want Him to be. That means you're God, not God's God. That means you're hearing your voice, not God's voice. That means you're following your ways still, not God's ways. You don't get to choose what part is truth. It's all truth. You don't get to choose which part you obey. You obey it all. And you confess when you're not. And you keep washing in the pool of Siloam. What do you mean? We're sent. This is the testimony. We've been sent. Look at Matthew. um, What is it? Matthew. Michael's like, stay away from Matthew. 28. We just read it yesterday, if you're reading through the Bible with us, verse 10. Not 28, 18. 28, 18 through 21 is, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, or excuse me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. Here's what he's telling us to do at the same time. 28, 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Isn't that pretty cool? You don't have to be afraid. You're indestructible. He knows where you're at. He fearfully and wonderfully made you, and he wants to remake you. Go. Same word here. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Same word. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, the heathen circle. 
Go to others and tell them the word of reconciliation, and there they will see me. While you are going, while you're doing the work, while you're giving the word of reconciliation, you're going to see Jesus. Because whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto him. But you have to go. Listen, if he didn't go, his eyes wouldn't be open physically or spiritually because he wouldn't have the rest of the conversation. He wouldn't have the rest of the chapter. He wouldn't have the rest of the thing where Jesus come back and said, hey, do you believe in the Son of God now? I don't know who he is. And he reveals himself to him. As you go, just like Peter, as he stepped out of the water, he learned that he could truly walk by faith on water. As you go to do what you already know, God's going to wash you and cleanse you and reveal himself to you. But if you do nothing except say, I said a prayer, I'm good, which is the biggest lie. Listen to me. He went. He was sent to this pool and he washed. Means cleansed. To cleanse, especially the hands and the feet and the face. Listen. Hands is where you're going all every day. I mean, excuse me. Feet is where you're going every day, your walk. Hands is what you're working on. And your face is your countenance. Your face is your countenance. When you know Jesus, your face changes. Your face changes. I meet people all the time and I go, don't I know you? Oh, wait a minute. You know Jesus, don't you? I do that in the aisles at Walmart. And they go, yeah, I know Jesus. How did you know? I go, I can tell your face is different. Because you know Jesus. You're not running around in fear. You're not running around in pain. You're not running around a victim if you know Jesus truthfully. You're running around looking to do life because you're here as a witness. His neighbors noticed him. Verse 10. Oh, verse 9 still. This is he, others said. He is like him. He said, I am he. Notice he says, I am. He can be taken out of there. He's starting to take on the characteristics of the great I am. He's starting to become like God. Not a God, but reformed again into the image of God. When you start listening to the voice of God, then he begins to produce fruit in you that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, this is a dangerous verse because people take it and they go, now your last name is I am and now you're a child of God and now you are God. And they change it and they try to make it more than what it is. You're being conformed back into the image of a child of God. So your name becomes the same as his because you're in his family. You are adopted in. You get his name. You're going to get his character. Because of the Spirit of God. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? Anybody ever asked you how you come to salvation? Well, I believed in Jesus. No, 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 no. What happened? Because usually if something happens, you hit the bottom of the ladder. You hit the bottom of the barrel. You fall so hard on your head and somebody shares Jesus. Or you fall so hard on your head and you go, you know what that one pastor at that funeral, he was saying that the only way to get on is Jesus. Lord, help me! And you cry out to Jesus. What I love about all of this, and I don't know if I said it, I'd like to say it. Oh, I did say it already, but I'll say it again. This wasn't somebody sharing with somebody. There was silence. This man sat alone in the darkness, physically and spiritually. 
And Jesus come and touched him, fixed his eyes. And then he's going to come to him again. There's that voice. That's that voice right there that they can't hear when I start doing that. That really low tone. I don't know where it comes from. I'm not practicing it or planning it. Oh, I almost started reading chapter 10. I can't wait to get there. The good shepherd. So, therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? How were your eyes opened? Can I ask you that? Do you remember? Listen, because a lot of people would say, oh, I was just always a Christian. How were your eyes open? When did you begin to believe in Jesus? When did you repent? When did your direction change? When did the Spirit of God come in and seal you until the day of redemption? I am not telling you you have to know the date. But you better make sure that it happened and it's not just a cultural thing where you go to church and warm your hand by the fire. The Spirit changes who you are. It changes your direction. It changes your mind. It changes your countenance. And people wonder if you're the same person anymore. I tell you before and I tell you again, I share with my wife's grandma and grandpa that I was in prison and I was a drug addict. And they go, oh, no, you weren't. Because their Christianity couldn't believe that. It might sound funny, but they couldn't believe that God would save that type of people. But at the same time, there's so many people when I share my testimony, which I share constantly. I'm not trying to point at myself. It's what sets people free. That's what's going to happen in this text. Everybody's going to join in because they're going to see a change. There's going to see a direction change, a heart change, a face change, a life change. People aren't leading him around. He's not begging. And he doesn't know anything but a simple testimony. He doesn't have a bragamony. Be careful with that, guys. As you get older, your testimony, you start to embellish it and you turn it into something that it wasn't. Be very careful when it becomes a bragamony instead of a testimony. But you should be working on your testimony. You should know how to give a testimony. He answered. Here's his answer. Simple answer. Can you answer this? You don't have to. When I tell you the word of reconciliation, you don't have to give somebody a three-point sermon. He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Listen, he heard what he said. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Look how simple this is. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Physically, now listen to me, it's that simple spiritually. In fact, God still heals today, but He doesn't always heal because He gets more glory when somebody's had cancer four times and they still get up, they still go, they have paralyzed vocal cords and they still talk and they still share the gospel and they still pray. He gets more glory from somebody operating from a place where they should have been a victim. They should be without hope. They should, he gets more glory when they are still serving Him. He doesn't always heal physical things. He wants you to get past them and keep serving in them and taking care of people because of them because you know you're going to get a new body in heaven. You know this isn't the end of it all. You know it's an earthly tent that's made to wear out and you're looking forward to the finish line. Where is the saints that are looking forward to dying and going being with Jesus? Now, I'm not talking suicidal. 
But think about Jesus walking into the midst of people that are trying to kill him. Think about Paul, stoned to death, left outside the city, gets up and goes right back to the same people and says, hey, I forgot to tell you. Let me tell you some more. And they're like, this guy's beside himself. There's something wrong with him. He's insane. He'd come back. He wouldn't shut up. Simple testimony. A man called Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Has he put clay on your eyes? Have you been healed? Quit being a victim then. Quit listening to the world and its lies. Open your eyes and get in the scriptures and search out and find out what he's done for you. Then they said to him, notice they're asking questions all because of his demeanor being different. His physical body is different. Where is he? Can you answer that? Where's Jesus? I mean, a little bitty kid can say he's in my heart. Because the Spirit of God's in our heart now if we know Jesus. We got to grow up here, people. He's in our heart. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He said, I do not know. Oh, my goodness. Notice his testimony, though. A man called Jesus opened my eyes, and I obeyed him and washed, and I received my sight. King James says, I know not. It's the word, I do. See, he hasn't said, I do yet. That's going to happen over in verse 38 when he believes. Just Jesus. He heard his voice. He obeyed. He washed. Have you heard Jesus' voice? And once again, with the word of reconciliation, as we become witnesses, our responsibility is just to turn on the light. Just to plant some seeds. Just to point them to the light. I can't make anybody get saved. You can't make anybody get saved. I've had people go, oh, I know who you are. You saved my brother. I'm like, no, I didn't save nobody. But people misunderstand what's going on. You point them to somebody who can save everybody. And the only way to do that is by telling them the truth of the word of God. You cannot do that by telling them a good story. You cannot do that by being nice. It has to be the word of God where you tell them what the word of God says, the gospel, the Iroquois uh, uh, or excuse me, the euangelion, uh, the good news that Jesus died and rose again and he paid for your sins. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That's that justification. That's that imputation. He gives us his righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's the evidence. As the two work together and you keep going, and then you understand and you begin to know him. Now, we're going to finish that next week, not this week, or we'd be here for another six hours. But listen to me. Are your eyes open today? All of us in here have physical eyes. Mine are getting dimmer. But as my eyes get dimmer, my spiritual eyes are getting brighter and better. 
And I can see and hear it in people's voices. I can hear it in their countenance. And I want to see with God's eyes. Because just because the appearance of somebody looks like they're doing the right thing doesn't mean that their heart is right. And that's the spiritual eyes. Where are you at today? It's your choice. You hear his voice. Are you going to go and wash? Are you going to obey? Can people see that you're different? Or are you still doing the exact same thing as you always did? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you open blind eyes. So many texts, Lord, that we can look at. So many lives you do it differently. Wake us up, Lord. Open blind eyes. Thank you for your spirit that opens spiritual eyes and uncovers the truth and allows us to spend time with you and hear your voice and for you to know us and us to follow you. Teach us to look up. Teach us to follow you. Teach us to go and be washed as we do the work of the ministry for your glory for such a time as this. We pray for salvation of souls, Lord. Even as the world blows up, we don't care, Lord. We're called to speak your word of reconciliation to others and allow you to let the pieces fall in place. Save souls, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.